0: Well, dear students, it's time to tie everything we've learned about bonds and stocks together into investments for the masses, mutual funds, also known as investment companies, which is, by the way, the legal term. Mutual funds are are very popular, and you hear all about them in the media and advertising and the like, but you very rarely hear their legal name, and that's investment company. And I think that's unfortunate because I think the term investment company is a much better way to describe what these things are. Yeah, I get the idea between between behind mutual, excuse, excuse me, <coughs> a lot of different investors get together and pool their money together, but What is the company doing for you? They're making investments on your behalf. So I like investment company better. And there's an old industry saying, which I think is very apropos, uh, suitable. Mutual funds will bore you to wealth. Right? (laughs) They're not sexy. They're not exciting. Well, some of them are. They're the ones you want to stay away from. But they do the job. And if we uh, choose a good mutual fund or maybe a few then we let the mutual fund do its job of making the investments for us and we sit back and make sure we get our fifty dollars or a hundred dollars a month or more if we can afford it into the mutual fund through our paycheck or through our checking account cool yeah so let's get started on slide number two let's see here let's get started on slide number two what is a mutual fund Well, to review, it's an investment chosen by people who pool their money to buy stocks, bonds, or other financial securities. Um, As we said, the legal term is investment company, but you won't hear that unless you work out in the industry. What do we get as investors? Two wonderful aspects, characteristics. Professional money management and diversification yes both are very good things some professional money managers aren't that great but that's your job and my job is to go out and find the good ones or if you feel you need the help of a financial advisor letting the financial advisor make in, uh, recommendations regarding which mutual funds to invest in and diversification don't let anybody tell you diversification is not a good I- idea it is Some people will say you really need to be more concentrated if you want to make money quickly. And they're absolutely right. But you can also lose money really quickly, too. So that's why we like diversification. And each fund has a specific objective. Growth of capital, income, balanced approach between growth of your money and income from your money. And there are over 12,000 that you, wait a minute, do you have 12,000 different choices when you walk down the breakfast aisle in the supermarket? I know it seems like it sometimes, but no, 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 no. Are there 12,000 different types of cars out there? How come there are 12,000 different mutual funds? It just doesn't make sense. Well, we'll discuss that later on in our next presentation. Suffice to say there is tremendous competition for your investment dollars for your investment dollars, and so there are myriad of choices for you to go to, which makes it even worse for people trying to make a decision. That's why I like companies that have fewer, not more, mutual funds, but that's my personal opinion. Other people say, oh no, I wanna have lots of different choices, fine. And as we said, many people will choose mutual funds for their retirement account investments either through their 401k or 403b, if they're if it's an employer-sponsored plan, or maybe your traditional IRA or your Roth IRA from your checking account, or a regular account where you just want to build wealth in a regular account, or maybe a college education account, an educational savings plan. Yeah, there are health savings plans. Most, all of them are going to be giving you the option of investing in mutual funds, if not the only option to invest in. Slide number three. Here's my great graph. Don't you, don't, don't you pre- impressed with my autistic ability? Artistic ability, yes. So here we are, dear students, we're the little people, and more and more of them are women, because women are getting the idea that don't count on the men, they don't even do as well as the women. And we give our millions of dollars every, month every sometime every paycheck to the people in the top hats these are the um the mutual fund managers and more and more of them are women why because as we said women are better investors (laughs) yes they are and so millions of people giving billions of dollars creates these huge pools of funds mutual funds and i know it looks like a potato my apologies supposed to be a pool And then, what do the mutual fund managers do with it? Well, they do the investing for you. If they invest in stocks, it's called a stock mutual fund. If they invest in bonds, it's called a bond mutual fund. If they invest in the short-term cash instruments, then it's called a money market mutual fund. But usually, you don't hear the last two words. You just hear people say money market. But it's really a money market mutual fund. And if it, they decide they're going to have a balanced approach between stocks and bonds, then they create a balanced fund. Uh, but there are just innumerable choices out there. But just these are the the four main categories, folks. And and in the um, illustrations, in the illustrations that we do for this chapter, we chose a balanced mutual fund. For chapter 11 on bonds, we chose a bond mutual fund. and We saw what bonds can do for us over the long term. In chapter 12, we saw a stock mutual fund that invested in stocks and we saw how stocks can do for us. And in this chapter, we choose a balance fund so that we can eat well with our stocks and sleep well with our bonds. Balance funds, for many people, are not a bad choice. Personally, when you're in your 20s and 30s, I think they're too conservative but that's why there's chocolate and vanilla and some people like strawberry. If you're really, really worried, but you do want to invest for growth, a balanced fund might be a good choice for you. We shall see that there are many, many other choices in our next presentation, and that's why there are so many different mutual funds. Slide number four. Why should investors purchase mutual funds? Well, as we said, there are two wonderful reasons Professional money management, management. you have to determine as a potential investor, who is the fund's manager. Be careful, it's not as bad as it used to be, but managers would change often, like professional athletes or like um, movie stars. They called it the star, they still do, the star... Uh, system where one person makes all the the choices, and sometimes that works out really really well in the case of Peter Lynch, and sometimes it works out really really poorly in the case as in the case of Charles Stedman. My humble opinion: you look for a, an experienced management team, a team of people that work together but make their own decisions. Why? Because you get that team approach, but you get the individuals. Conviction, their courage of their conviction, where everybody else says, "Oh, that's ridiculous. That's going to blow up. That's going to it's going to blow. It's going to fall down," and this guy or gal says, "No, no, no. You don't understand. You're not seeing this." And they go ahead and buy it, and it turns out to be a you know maybe a really good thing. So that's why I like teams, and more and more mutual funds are cho- choosing to move to the team approach, which is a good thing. Cool. Um, diversification, the second major reason we use. Uh, mutual funds is diversification. Investors' funds are pooled together and used to purchase a variety of in- investments. And this variety provides some safety that is difficult for individual investors to obtain on their own. Your $50 pay- buys 25 cents of IBM, and 30 cents of Home Depot, and 40 cents of, uh, of uh, McDonald's. You understand? Now, you don't have to worry about that. That They take care of that for you, All the all the accounting. But you know that with your fifty dollars, you're buying a hundred and twenty different stocks, right? So if one company pfft, disappears, you see a little blip in your in your um, in your mutual fund uh, results. And the last factor that we don't discuss very often, but is very important for the vast majority of us people trying to live their lives without having to worry about our investments is the PETA factor. And I wish I would have made this up. I didn't. It's from the wealthy barber. It stands for pain in the, mm-hmm, yeah, factor, right? Pain in the <laughs> horse factor. And it's true. Once we have chosen a mutual fund, then it's actually very easy for us because they do all the work. Of course, you know, we're. We're paying them. They're charging us for that work. The trick is picking the first mutual fund because there are thousands to choose from. Where do you even start? Uh, do, you, do you listen to the advertisements? Do you listen to your brother-in-law, the so-called expert? Do you pay for because you're going to wind up paying? Advice, professional advice? Do you do your reading? Do you take business 123, introduction to investments, and do a whole lot of research and find the ones that speak to you the best? You decide. You decide. Uh huh. And that's why mutual funds are so cool, because you can um, do your own research uh, or you can choose choose somebody to do it for you. And then there's nothing. Once that's done, you don't really have to. You know, you check them out every six months, every year. Don't make changes quickly because it take you look at the what I like to do. Well, what We're going to do is we're going to look at the long term, look at funds that have been around for 20, 30, 50 years or longer. Why? Because they've shown that they can do well in good times and bad times. As we said back in Chapter 11, I think, don't tell me how well you did during the good times. I'm not interested. I want to know how well you did when the organic matter hit the ventilating device. Because it's going to happen. We don't know when. We don't know how. We know it's going to happen. That's all. And so I want somebody who's done well during those times, which means they haven't, completely fallen into a pool of tears and disappeared, which is what happens to a lot of mutual funds. Well, many mutual funds are called, they call it burying the evidence. They are merged into other mutual funds so that the past horrible performance of a certain mutual fund poof, disappears, and we bury the evidence. And many companies have done that, folks, and it's just, it's not right, in my humble opinion. Look for companies that have not done that. And certainly look for mutual funds that have been around for decades and have done well in good times and bad times okay enough off, enough of that let's continue slide number five look at the growth of the mutual fund industry in 1940 finally the uh, folks in Congress got together played nice in the sandbox and created the investment company act of 1940 there were already 70 mutual funds in 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 action in, in working and doing their job but many of the states were very leery about these things and the irs was very leery about these things and and they they would say wait a minute why aren't we taxing you on your investment gains and the mutual funds said well, because because we're doing it, we're investing for 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 other investors go tax them and so it was a little tricky there for a while and finally the congress said no finally we have an act that addresses The mutual fund industry—we call it the Investment Act of 1940—and it set in stone and has been basically. Mutual fund company, the industry itself, the industry has changed a lot, but the 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 regulatory structure, the law, has not changed much. So it shows that the that the folks in Washington can play nice and get things done. So there were seventy in in existence, thirty years later, three hundred fifty. 1980, 600. 1990, look at that, from from 1980 to 1990, 600 to 2000. Yeah, and then from 1990 to 2000, 7, nine thousand It went from 2000 to 9,000 in, in the year 2000. And the last 20 years, we've added the extra 3000. So we're now up to 12,089 as of December 31st, 1999. That is from the Investment Company Institute 2020 Factbook, which comes out in May. So you don't really know the previous year until about May or June. And so the industry has exploded in terms of number of offerings for you, which some people would say is a great thing. Other people say, that's too much information, which it is. I mean, I'll never personally, that's one of the cool things about being in the industry, you'll never learn everything about all the different uh, mutual funds, stocks, bonds, just, just, just too many of them. So you have to follow your nose and see where you are led to, which companies speak to you the best, uh, get good referrals, do your research. Maybe if you want to, you find a, a funded advisor who will help you, a financial advisor yeah it's that's the problem with mutual funds as we'll see when we get to our next presentation and then after that too so slide number six how do we purchase mutual funds well you can do it through a broker through a financial advisor through a wealth manager as sometimes called asset manager or directly from the investment company but either way in my humble opinion the bestest way to purchase your mutual funds is through automatic contributions because we say we're going to get around to investing and then everything's happening and stuff like, well, oh, I need that money for the car, now and the kids need orthodontia, and here comes the keys and Yaris. So the best way is to simply start putting $50, bucks, 100 bucks a month through your payroll, through your checking account. Remember we talked about dollar cost averaging, sometimes you're buying high, sometimes you're buying low. You don't care, you just keep putting that money in. Cool. And then how do you sell it? Well, if you have a broker, a financial advisor, a wealth manager, you call them up and say, I want to sell some. I want to get some money back. Or you go directly to the mutual fund website or call the mutual fund and they will send you a check. Or you can even have it electronically deposited into your checking account. And the absolute bestest way, in my humble opinion, is through an automatic withdrawal into your checking account so here's the deal folks hmm here's the deal okay you automatically invest 50 invest 50 or a hundred dollars per month for 30 years or more more if you increase it every every year 110 120 and then you automatically withdraw two thousand dollars or maybe three thousand dollars per month for the rest of your life does that sound interesting Hmm? Oh wait a minute! Did I mention there are no guarantees? Yes, always be sure to read the fine print. So what you've done is basically created your own annuity, and so that now you have a a a, a, a as as we'll see when we get we we'll get in the next chapter, you can set it up so that it you you take out this much and you get maybe a little bit more than that. So your interest your your income actually grows over time. Yes, 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 yes. Because remember, as we said with annuities, here's here's what the life insurance company wants you to do. They don't want you to take all that money and you've accumulated all your lifetime. No, 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 no. Because you could, if you, they don't want you to manage it because you could wind up with mediocre returns over the rest of your life. Instead, give it to us and we will guarantee that you get mediocre returns. For the rest of your life. Yes, dear students, never trust an insurance company with your investments. And if you need to, it, it makes more sense, in my humble opinion, to hire a financial advisor than it does to give the life the mutual fund, the insurance company, the money because you will, you know, I don't know, it's going to be an exception that proves the rule. But you'll do a whole lot better if you uh, do it yourself, make your own annuity. And this is the way to do it. Cool. Sound exciting? I hope so. I, I I hope so. Okay. So now let's take a look at fees. <laughs> a very important part of mutual funds are the fees because the mutual fund industry—they're not alone. They're not. They they can't hold a candle to the life insurance companies, but. They do their best to make it difficult for you to understand how you're being charged. I mean, most people understand that they're being charged. Yes, they do. They just don't really understand how. Well, typically, mom mutual funds are going to charge you based on annual operating expenses because it costs money to run a mutual fund. This is charged yearly based on a percentage of the fund's asset value. This is how the mutual fund finances their operations. And they range from less than a half a percent to 2% or more, although that's very rare. Usually it's about 1% or so, depending on the mutual fund. So what does this mean? If you had a mutual fund that charged 0.5%, that's 50 cents for every $100 you have in the account. If it charged 1%, you'd have $1 for every $100 in the account. If it's 2%, it'd be $2. Now, does that sound like a lot of money? At first, it might, but know this. It's a whole lot less than the life insurance companies and the banks are charging. How do we know? Well, it's difficult because the banks and the life insurance companies, most of the time, are not required to show you how much they are making off of you. Whereas the mutual funds are. Thanks to the Investment Company Act of 1940, we are given a prospectus that describes how we're being charged. Does anybody read it? No! (laughs) It's written with the legalese that makes sure that you'll never read it. But it's very useful in case you have insomnia at night. You can take your mutual fund prospectus to bed with you and very quickly you'll be snoring soundly. And some mutual funds have extremely low fees. In fact, there are some mutual funds out there that are charging basically nothing. How do they do that? Well, stick with us, dear students. And why can they charge it? Uh, Again, we'll discuss it more in the next presentation. And some mutual funds come with a sales load, or another name for that is sales commission. Now, what was this meant to be? Originally, it was meant to compensate or use, and still is, the financial representative who sold or recommended the fund to the investor. But because commissions have become a taboo subject and who you never want to pay commissions there are other ways that now the financial advisors and representatives and the brokers and the wealth managers charge you which are sometimes more expensive than if you just paid the darn upfront fee the sales commission and be done with it some many funds now charge no commission and those are called no load funds and there are a couple other names for them, as we'll see on the next presentation. But be careful, because if a no-load fund does not have low um, annual operating expenses, it can wind up costing you more than the one that did have a sales commission that you held for the long time and it had lower annual operating expenses. So is it going to be easy to figure out your fees? Once you've done it a few times, yes. Yes because there are only a few categories of the way mutual funds charge people and the way they they uh, they compensate the financial advisors. There are dozens of permutations and combinations, but they all fit neatly into about four categories which we're going to take a look at right now on slide 8. Originally, the only mutual funds out there were sold through brokers and they had a front-end load. They eventually came to be known as class A shares. They typically, but not always, have lower annual operating expenses. So you paid um, $5 for every $100 or $3 for every $100 that you put into the mutual fund. And as the amount you put into the mutual fund or the your account gets larger, that percentage goes down and down and down until finally it winds up being zero and you don't pay any more. Uh, upfront fees and these it turns out for those people who are interested in having an advisor these typically wind up being the best choice over the long term now if you're the kind of person who buys and sells and wants to move your money around mutual funds every six months or year you definitely want to stay away from these things because you'll just get destroyed by your annual operating expense I mean the upfront Commission fee not the annual operating expenses So they have have their place for people who are long-term, prudent investors but want the help of a financial advisor. Make sense? Well, as we said, commissions, front-end loads, front-end commissions became taboo. They were not spoken of in polite company. Well, the brokers are not stupid, right? They say, okay, well, we'll create the Class B shares. You, you you don't want an upfront fee? No problem. For you we have the back end fee. What? Wait a minute. You're gonna hit me up front or in the back? No 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 the 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 back end fee only applies if you don't hold on to the funds for four, five, six years. After that you don't pay a back end fee. It's called a contingent deferred sales charge. Isn't that a great name? Yeah, it starts off at 4% the first year, then 3, 2, 1, and after 4 years, you don't pay any back-end fee. The same thing happens with annuities, but they usually start around 25% and take 25 years or so to get down to zero. But the Class B shares turned out not very popular, so (laughs) we don't want a front fee, we don't want a back-end fee. How about Class C shares? Well, the Class C shares used to be called no-load shares. Uh, broker funds, but the SEC, Securities and Exchange Commission, says they can't do that anymore. So you have to call them load funds. What happened? Well, they didn't have an upfront fee. They didn't have a back end fee. Some of them have a 1% charge if you leave within a year, but you shouldn't do that. Mutual funds, are, you want at least a leave them there at least a few years, five years or so. So great. Sounds great, right? No upfront fee, no back end fee. What happens? Well, they have a higher annual fee. And every year, some of that annual fee gets paid to the brokers over time. And if you're a broker, you're going to make more from the Class C shares than the Class A shares, especially if the client has a lot of money because if they go with the Class A shares, they don't pay as big an upfront fee as a percentage of what they put in. Right, so they're not allowed to be called no load funds. They have to be called load funds, except the load is amortized. You like that 50-cent word? It means it's spread out over 10 years, or, or sometimes longer. OK, so we don't want to load. What do we do? But we still want an advisor. Well, advisors have what are called Class F, or Class I, or Class Fi. or They, they go by various different uh, letters, depending on which mutual fund you, you go to. But now they are often called clean shares. Doesn't that sound better? That sounds nice, clean shares. Well, folks, they can be just as messy and dirty as the others, because typically, if you go through a broker now, they will say, oh, no, we're not your brokers, no, 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 no. no. We're your wealth managers and you don't pay an upfront fee, you don't pay a a back-end fee, you pay low annual operating expenses, except we had an extra one or two percent. What was that, Ms. Broker? What did you say? We had an extra one or up to two percent per hundred dollars forever to manage the account. The wealth management fee. Oh, folks, you know, if you're a broker, this is what you want your clients to do because you're going to be charging them forever. And I'll tell you right now I have no clients that have these I will never I mean unless the person was I don't know I would do I would try to explain to them I'd say hey you need to take business 121 financial planning and money management chapter 14 13 or you need to sit sit in on my business 123 introduction investments class chapter 4 because you got to understand how you're being charged these things will charge you far more money over the long term that again, we assume that you're a long term buy and hold shareholder that wants to hold on to the money for ten or more years for retirement or maybe for the kids education or buying a house or something. So so um you gotta be careful, right? And if you do need the if you do believe you need or you do need the help of a financial advisor, stick with those who charge it who charge the upfront fee because it's going to be cheaper and if you don't believe me take business 123 where we actually run the numbers and I can do it for you folks if you want to see the difference between the class A and the class F over the long term especially with larger numbers it makes more it, it, it's much more pronounced when you have a pretty big nest egg but with a small nest, just putting 50 bucks a month away it, you know it takes a long time for that for that uh, That amount to to become pronounced but when it does it's severely pronounced and this is you know 10 15 20 years into your investing career and you wind up as we say leaving a lot of money on the table (coughs) excuse me now the last category sometimes called true no load funds huh true no load funds well that's what the financial uh, media has called them true no load funds, no upfront fee, no back end fee, no annual higher no high annual operating expenses and no uh, management fees but wait, I mean that means you 're going to have to do it on your own that's right. You need to do your own research. Now, you guess you could pay somebody an hourly rate. there are financial uh, uh, representatives that no they're actually called um, what is it, certified financial professionals. But they charge an outrageous amount of money to do stuff that, that you know, it just, it's just, I, I saw one one of my students came up to me and showed me the things that they gave her, the, the materials, and it was $3,000 for a book and CDs that are DVDs. Ds are not worth, you know, 30, 40 bucks. And uh, she felt really violated. So, you know, Get a good, again, at the bottom of the story, bottom line, get a good referral if you're looking for help in making your own decisions. But, I mean, not, not making your own decisions, getting help to make decisions and not recommendations. But, if this stuff is kind of exciting and interesting and piques your, your curiosity, Business 123, introduction to investments, yes. Yes, we'd love to see you. Um, and, and, by the way, even a true no-load fund, which has no upfront fee, no back-end fee, no higher annual operating expenses uh, according, uh, from paying the brokers, they're called 12B1 fees, um, you don't have to remember that, but um, it doesn't mean that it w- might not wind, wind up costing you more in fees if they have higher annual operating expenses, uh, the management fee as it's called. Okay, so are you thoroughly confused? I know maybe you want to print out this this uh, slide because it's gonna be on the exam and why is it gonna be on the exam piano because you are the financial guru you are the the investment guru for your friends and family and and, um, and and co-workers and it's a serious responsibility and you can't let them down you have to be able to explain to them how they're being charged and when that Jerk in the three-piece suit with the Rolex on his arm comes in and tries to explain to you how well you know what our insurance company is doing for you 401k participants. We have the greatest funds out there and you start asking him wait a minute how come this index fund has a a annual expense that's ten times more than say Vanguard or Fidelity?" And he'll go, hum, 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 hum. he won't know what to say. And you are going to look like a genius. You are going to look brilliant. And your co your coworkers are going to say, boy, are you smart. Where did you learn that? And you know what you're going to say, right, you're going to tell them. Business 121, Financial Planning and Money Management. Business 123, uh, Introduction to Investments at Southwestern Community College. See, I wash your back, you wash my back. Okay, dear students. So now, what are we ready for? Oh, <laughs> we are ready to do our best to get our arms around the mutual fund industry very difficult to do because it's an 800 pound marshmallow and we will look at the major types of mutual funds from the most riskiest to the least riskiest and then discuss index funds and ETFs exchange-traded funds which are the greatest and newest and most fabulous modern-day go-go way to invest, but have their disadvantages also. No investment is perfect, dear students. Every investment has advantages and disadvantages. See you in our next presentation.